Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio. Sports Talk for the rest of this week, live from the SEC Tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Bottom of the fifth inning, Missouri and Ole Miss playing right now a 1-1 ball game. Ole Miss has gotten back-to-back doubles off of the relief pitcher for Missouri, Jacob Cantleberry, who started game one and beat Ole Miss in the series in Missouri back in March to uh, get on the board. Missouri got a run in the top of the second inning. Ole Miss's run coming here in the bottom of the fifth. Runner on second is Thomas Dillard. He got the RBI double, and there is nobody out in the inning. Earlier today, Texas A&M, an 8-7 win in 10 innings over the Florida Gators to start the 2019 SEC Baseball Tournament. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Borky, what's up? I was a little frustrated uh, not being able to go to the SEC tournament, especially um, this week, but I'm not frustrated with it anymore. Okay, why is that? Because I'm having a boy. (laughs) Hey! I found out this morning. I thought it was a girl. I thought I saw something I shouldn't have. It turns out that wasn't true. Little James Richard Borky II, named after my father, will be coming in October. I'm sorry. Could you run that by, name by me one more time? <laughs> I know. I Wait. hate it. I hate it. But, yeah, my my kid and you are going to share a name. <laughs> Richard gets the middle name and not me. What a crock. Well, it, you could have knocked that kill two birds with one stone with a Brian. Yeah, Thank I could you. have. But, uh, yeah, wanted to name my firstborn son after my father. So I also happen what, to what work you with a guy him? named Richard. What are you going to call him? James Rippy, until Borky. he's an adult. Then he'll be Jim, just like my dad. Maybe, go. maybe he can be a doctor, and he'll be like Rippy then. What about Jimmy? No, I can't do that. Jimmy's a good little boy name. All right, so so go backstory quickly. Is uh, we got plenty of time to talk baseball throughout the course of the afternoon. Uh, the first sonogram uh, where the nurse ultimately was able to figure out boy or girl. You saw something, as you said a second ago, that you didn't think you were supposed to see. Tell me a little more. So we we said to her that we didn't want them to find out right away, or we didn't want to find out right away. And just when you're about to, you know, look under the hood, let us know and we'll look away and then tell us when we can look back. And so she did that. But when I looked up, all of the information that she typed in about the baby was on the screen. And it said sex female. 
So I assumed she was punching in what she saw on the baby. But I mm-hmm. guess that was my wife's sex for a baby ultrasound. I, I'm confused as to why they have to put that in there when it's... I mean, there's only one sex that can have babies. But anyway, I thought that's what I saw. And so the whole well, time... You know, with mo- with well, modern medicine and whatnot, I mean, what a defeatist <laughs> attitude. Well, isn't there an uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he gets pregnant? I'm, 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 I'm sure. very emotional. It's I'm a baby. I'm pregnant. Ow. I, I, I'm quite certain that it was just standard medical stuff. I mean, it probably said Borky, comma, K, or whatever for her name. And then, you know, maybe had her date of birth and social security number and whatnot. And her sex is female. And so it said female up there. And what do you know? Congratulations, man. You excited? I'm thrilled because I feel like at least with a boy, I'll, I'll kind of know what I'm doing more first than a little girl because I would have no idea what to do, like braiding hair and stuff. But I, I know how to handle guys. Can I dispel a myth for you? You're still not going to know what to do. <laughs> at least at least not any more than you would have. I mean, look, for the first yeah, year to 18 months, I mean, it's, it, it's not. I'd say for the first 10 to 12 months. Boy, girl, doesn't matter. It's eat, poop, sleep. I'll babysit once he's potty trained. There you go. Sign him up. Uh, Ole Miss has taken a 2-1 to lead, an RBI single up the middle from Cole Zabowski, scored Thomas Dillard. He got to third after a, uh, a sacrifice bunt. And Ole Miss, for the first time in the ballgame, has a lead up 2-1. Two, two runs, six hits, and an error for Ole Miss. A run, five hits, and no errors for Missouri. Since they brought in, so Connor Ash threw five scoreless innings, and then Missouri brought in its Friday night starter, and Ole Miss has gotten to him almost immediately. Or four scoreless innings, excuse me. Yeah, four innings, three hits, three walks, three strikeouts for Connor Ash, the starter in the game. So he did everything that Steve Beezer could have asked uh, starting on a Tuesday in the SEC tournament. Different story, though, for Jacob Cantleberry. A third of an inning, three hits, two runs allowed, both earned, and this is probably going to be a double play to end the inning. That's exactly what happens. Ryan Olenek grounds into an inning-ending double play. There's a rally killer for you. Yeah, and I mean, a double play. I'm not calling Ryan Olenek that necessarily. A double play. Well, they got a couple on, and Gray Kessinger, what, led the SEC in hits, and Zach bunted. Was that Kessinger that did that? That is. There's a word for that. There's a word for that. Actually, I'll use my new phrase, never bunt hit dingers. Never bunt hit dingers. I did not come up with that. The the rippy line of Sports Talk Mississippi logo wear is going to be much better than mine. I don't have these great catchphrases. We need to make a shirt that literally just has the word suboptimal across the front and sell that. That would sell. That would sell. I would love that. So, so, so what if we do? In fact, I had somebody uh, that is a frequent listener to us that is from Jackson but works for ESPN uh, and has for a a long time uh, said to me today, could you guys get some T-shirts made? I absolutely would buy them. So we may need to look at doing some yeah. T-shirts with hashtags on the back. Yeah. Um, and it may be all rippy catchphrases. Hashtag I'll try to work some in. I have Hashtag putrid. never putrid. bunt hit dingers. Never bunt hit dingers would, would sell during baseball season. I did not come up with that. That's been a term for a while. It's fine, though. We can sell it. doesn't matter. Yeah. We're just a copyright lawyer away from owning that. I highly doubt anybody has the IP on that. Hey, that has been the watchdog over my imaginary 
copyright patent over the word suboptimal. Suboptimal. People are not allowed to use it without my permission if you go through Hey Dad. <laughs> no, sir. Hey, Dad, your, uh, your first trip to the SEC tournament in a working capacity. Yeah. Not a bad seat here, huh? Well, it's air-conditioned. That's the main thing. It's like uh, 92 degrees outside. And and if not for me, it would actually be more cool in here. You'd notice that I opened three windows directly in front of us, which means you get a full dose of this speaker. You want, you want to know something? Huh? I didn't realize that window was open until just this moment. Are you serious? Yeah, like I, I, I didn't realize it was open. Oh. I you, you, if you look to your left, you'll notice that. Yeah, I see uh, that now. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fantastic. It's uh Interesting, uh, interesting concept there. That it's a new thing, right? Uh, there's no glass in front of you. Um, so what do you think so far? That's great. Great facility. Great place. Yeah, you know, I'm with you on the whole. Let's keep it in Hoover thing. Yeah. No, I, I am as well. And, and you know, there was a time where I was kind of like, eh, maybe going a different route would be a good thing. Leadoff base hit for Peter Zimmerman, the three-hole hitter, the DH for Missouri. Here in the top of the sixth inning off of Will Etheridge. Etheridge, by the way, at this point in the game, uh, has thrown 79 pitches. Tyler Myers appears to be getting loose down there. Okay. So, yeah, right-hander Tyler Myers in the bullpen. So we're, we're set up high above the first base side, right field side. So the, the setup here in Hoover, as this is uh, in the past, has been a multi-use uh, facility. Used to maybe still does play some of their football games in here. So you've got the traditional double decker press box directly behind home plate, and then there's a double decker press box that they call the auxiliary press box that's down the uh, the right field line. A really nice catch there by Tyler Keenan in foul territory for the first out of the inning. Um, but so so this would have been like the sideline press box for when they had football games or, or other events like that. So pretty cool spot for uh, for us. Yeah, not a bad view. I don't know how much I know the history of this place, but do you know why like the press area is so big? It's Michael not like, Jordan? I know it's an old minor league park, but you don't see two-story press boxes very often. Is it Michael Jordan? All right, so hang on. Let me let me rewind a few years. The press box was renovated probably eight to ten years ago, seven or eight years ago. Um, so I think originally maybe those were suites or, or some sort, sort of a club level up on the second level behind home plate because it used to be you had – radio crews that were waiting on the crew in front of them to finish and you had to go like abbreviated post-game show and it was like throwing wires and slinging stuff all over the place so part of hoover's kind of commitment to continuing to upgrade the ballpark and make it more uh i guess user friendly for the uh, the sec tournament included the press box expansion so you've got uh two four four radio booths and the tv booth and the press box and all that good stuff a whole lot more coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started. Ole Miss and Missouri playing in the top of the sixth inning. Rebels leading it 2-1. to one. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Run, rabbit, run. Dig that hole. Get the sun. When it lost, the work is Race 
back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you from the SEC Baseball Tournament in Hoover. Michael Borky making it all happen from the studio in Jackson. Ole Miss got out of the top of the sixth inning, a little shallow fly ball to center field. Ryan Olenek uh, coming in with Kessinger and Adams going out. And Olenek kind of made an awkward catch and looks up, and the runner's halfway to second base and kind of makes a throw on the run, got a double play to get out of the inning. And Damian Beal, the second base umpire, props to uh, to him. He's, like, coming forward and, like, makes a little hop and a pump, the fist pump and whatnot to um, to ring the guy up. Pretty impressive. That's Enrico Palazzo. Yeah, it, was, it had a Leslie Nielsen look to it. Uh, kind of a, a naked gun, moonwalk, strike three type thing. Yeah. Uh, so I like some of that. I like a little panache from the umpire. You got a little panache from Damian Beal, the uh, the second base umpire. So Ole Miss leading two to one in the bottom of the sixth inning. Winner of this game advances to play Arkansas same time tomorrow, game two of the day, and the loser's done. And if the loser is Missouri, they begin to sweat for the uh, the next. Oh, good grief. Next five days waiting until the uh, announcement of the NCAA regional field. We're going to visit with Kendall Rogers a little bit later this afternoon, and uh, I'll be interested to ask Kendall, Missouri in or out, and did the result of this game uh, make a difference one way or the other? I need to ask him about the previous game and the same thing with Florida. feels like Florida season's over, doesn't it? I, I think so, but you just don't ever know. You uh, you look at the uh, the RPI, um, Florida's in pretty good shape from an RPI standpoint. Uh, coming into today's ball game, they were sitting at 25, so that's good. But they're now what? They were 13 and 17, so they're 13 and 18 in the SEC. And if you're looking at North Carolina as a test case from a couple of years ago, they're not getting in. I mean, North Carolina had a top. What what was the RPI for North Carolina? I would be hesitant though in this year to. Like go back like in past history because it is kind of a strange year in terms of RPI. The the bubble is quite weak, and I know that's like a cliched thing people like to say, but it really kind of is. And the fact that they didn't start Candleberry, the Friday night guy, well, now since they showed him, kind of looks like a genius move. Makes me think that they're more comfortable than you might think with where they're at. Because you, if you're really trying to to win, do you not go Candleberry and then Sikama to finish it off? Well, but Sikama pitched on Friday night, but he could come in relief two three innings. Yeah, but wasn't he? Yeah, maybe. You've seen more ridiculous stuff, I guess. I, that is true. That is that is a fair way to uh, look at it. Um, we talked some about this throughout the course of the week. Of the teams that are here, and, and, and maybe two of the teams we just talked about, the answer is, who does the SEC tournament mean the most to this year? Who's it most important for? I mean, I, I, I would say... For a different reason, it was extremely important for Texas A and M. That win today that, yeah. for the Aggies probably enough, probably enough for them to host. Yeah. If they get one more, and they're guaranteed at least two more games. If they get one more, then shut the door, slam the door, forget about it. They're hosting. Well, wouldn't the answer be? Is I guess it's not anymore, but wouldn't it have been Florida because they did sweep Missouri over the weekend to keep a glimmer of hope alive? And then they, of course they lose an extra inning game what a couple hours ago, but. If they had won this and won a couple games, you never know. Um, yeah, it's possible. Absolutely possible. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi, glad to have you along. Uh, Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio. 
Orky, um, we'll, we'll do more of this later. But you, you sent me a message that said, can we please talk a little NBA today? <laughs> what? <laughs> let, let, let me cede the floor to you. Have at it. So you really want to. I was not expecting you to say yes to this. But, man, so last night, Golden State. That was Borky's response to, her, to his proposal, too. <laughs> I had a really good proposal, though. Like, I haven't heard of one better. Mine was awesome. But anyway, um, so Golden State swept Portland last night without Kevin Durant, without DeMarcus Cousins, without Andre Iguodala, and Steph Curry had a triple-double. I mean, that's a really good Portland team that they dominated last night. They now are the, the first team since 1966 to go to five consecutive NBA Finals. And... I don't think we are putting into proper perspective just how dominant and, and how much of a dynasty that they are in the middle of becoming. I mean, if they win the title this year, which they probably are going to do, that will be four or five years. Jordan's yeah. Bulls won six of eight. You had the Showtime Lakers that won five of 12. We're talking all-time great dynasties that won the same amount of championships over a longer span of time. And instead of the headlines being how great they are, all sports media can talk about is where Kevin Durant's going to go and who said what on Instagram. We are not putting into proper context just how incredibly dominant in a time where the Western Conference is by far better than the East as well. It's not like they're coming out of the East every year. The West is deep and really good. And they are flat out dominating, even with players injured. And we're not we're not putting it in the proper context at all, with how good they are. Well, and they're probably a. Uh, I mean, they're re- realistically they're a Draymond Green suspension away from a five peat. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't get suspended, does they really blow the three one lead to LeBron? I would argue no, but I guess you'll never know for sure. That at least think part of it is. I mean, they had LeBron, but did they really? I mean, did they really have that great rival to elevate them? You know, I mean, because they destroyed all of them. Right, but I mean, that's my point. I guess that you know, the Bulls had had the Pistons to go through, the Lakers had the Celtics to go through. Does it hurt the Warriors that there isn't another team to compare them to in this? That might be the thing, though. I mean. This might be the greatest collection, the greatest team, the greatest collection of talent to ever play basketball in the NBA, ever. And they've ruined other championship caliber teams. Like Houston's good enough to win a championship. That Clippers team with the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul and all that was probably good enough even though they had some other issues. Like you're talking about two, three other franchises that were 100% enough to good win titles, maybe multiple, thinking of Cleveland, yeah. and they've just mowed them down and kind of closed their window. Like, Harden may never win a title because of them. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Cleveland. I mean, with LeBron, what is his legacy if he doesn't run into the Warriors and he picks up maybe at least one more title, probably two? He's ahead of Jordan at that point, right? I mean, come on. So are you making uh, Steph Curry the best ever? No, I'm not. No. He's the most underappreciated superstar athlete of all time. I would even go outside of basketball. Uh, Say that one more time. Most underappreciated superstar ever. He has fundamentally changed the way an entire league plays basketball. Yeah. Yeah. 
is is Steph Curry regarded above or below Reggie Miller? Oh, above, above. But he's about to have his fourth title, so he should be. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that at all. It, it, I mean, the, the numbers are pretty remarkable. And, you know, what he's been able to, to pull off. and that, but, th- but that's a fascinating thing, Rick. Uh, Rippy, hey, Dad, I'm not sure which one of you said that, has changed the way basketball has been played. Not the NBA, but basketball has been played. If you look at the number of three-point attempts that are taken in college basketball, if you look at the distance from which those three-point attempts are taken, it's changed the game at every level. And centers are becoming obsolete. If you're a seven-footer and you can't dribble drive and pull up and make shots, you don't play anymore. Well, And the rules have helped some, too. Like Them not being able to be as physical has allowed him to probably stay through some playoff series. I watched a highlight video of the 80s the other night in playoff series. And they were, like You had Larry Bird and Bill Lambeer just slugging each other in the face. Like That kind of stuff doesn't really fly anymore, and that's helped. But... He's taking advantage of the like not taking advantage, but like he's used those rules to his advantage and teams have tried to emulate it and they can't. Would um And they drafted all of this, which is the biggest point, I think. Because like Tim Brando yeah. went on a Twitter rant today about how the imbalances just like Alabama, it's bad for the sport, whatever, but it it would be different if Golden State just paid Insane contracts to Steph and Clay and Draymond to get them. They drafted all three of those guys. And yes, yeah. Yeah. they did acquire Kevin Durant and Boogie Cousins, but Boogie got hurt and he was coming off of a torn Achilles anyway. And Kevin Durant sitting the bench and they've only won one title with him. So they drafted their core. They scouted their core. And it's not like those it, guys were highly regarded coming out of college. Draymond was the most sought after one of the three. Is this the best four game stretch of the entire season for Golden State? The way they've played in the last four games against Portland. They're more fun to watch without Durant. Well, I, I guess that's what I was getting at, was if you say this is the best four games that they've played all year, where they, where they were dominant and you know had maybe like a third-quarter deficit but come back and pull away and get the win at the end, would you rather Kevin Durant not play in the finals? I don't think you want to take that risk. I mean, you're talking about the – like we're about to go full on first take here, like – are the Warriors better without Kevin Durant? The answer might I get be your yes. point, though. I would want them I'm, not to I'm play. not so sure. It's an unreasonable question. I don't want Beyond play. Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith debating it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We're live from the SEC tournament where Ole Miss leads 2-1 to one over Missouri in the top of the seventh inning. More from the Renaissance Bank studio after this. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, and that is Mississippi Farm Bureau. Audrey Snyder covers Penn State Athletics for The Athletic. Two different things, Penn State Athletics, The Athletic, and she's on your radio uh, right now. Audrey, really appreciate a a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Obviously, uh, Penn State kind of in the news in the Magnolia State because of uh, the transfer of Tommy Stevens. Uh, let's just start at kind of a basic level. What is Mississippi State getting in uh, in Tommy Stevens as a transfer? Yeah, I mean, in some regards, it's a bit of a mystery just in terms of Tommy Stevens' quarterback usage at Penn State was really limited, obviously, playing behind Trace McSorley. There weren't many opportunities for him. Um, and last season certainly didn't go the way that Tommy had hoped. He dealt with a couple injuries that sidelined him, kept him out of spring ball last year and then limited him in the early portion of uh, play last season and then 
also dealt with an injury that uh, sidelined him again this past spring. So, you know, you look at the sample size of him as a quarterback, and you're looking at a guy who's 6'4", and I want to say Mississippi State listed him at 240 um, on their introductory news release, and that's a number that Penn State's strength coach had mentioned last year uh, with Tommy Stevens. You know, so he's a big-bodied kid, strong guy. Uh, from the glimpses of, that we did see of him as a quarterback, you know, certainly somebody who has the physicality when he gets out there and runs to make plays. Uh, but what Penn State did and why I think it's tough to kind of gauge Tommy the quarterback is they created a position for him called the lion position. And they did this ahead of the Fiesta Bowl to try and give him a starting role and give him the feel of being a starter. Uh, but in this role, I mean, he was allowed to catch passes, throw passes, run the ball. So we saw some of that in spurts, but then there'd be stretches where Penn State would shelve the Lion package completely. Uh, we saw that early on last season when Tommy was hurt. They obviously didn't use it. And then they came out and used it against Ohio State, and it did not go well. So, you know, it's it's interesting just because he has a familiarity with Joe Moorhead. He knows that offense. Penn State continued to run that same offense last year under Ricky Ronnie. So the familiarity is there, but as far as Tommy the quarterback, um, there's really a lot that Penn State fans weren't able to see out of him because of the injuries and because of the limited usage. We, we, we saw the news that James Franklin said this is going to be an open competition, and, and some people pointed to that being the reason because he was not named the starter. If you hadn't had the injury that, that I guess kept him out of the spring and maybe kind of knocked him out of the, the end of last season, I don't know time frame exactly, would he have been named the starter if he had been healthy throughout the spring this year? You know, and this is where I think the timing makes this really interesting. So Stevens had surgery in December of head of the Citrus Bowl. So they elected to do the surgery then. Um, he said it was a nagging injury, something that he could play through if he managed the pain. So he did up until that point and elected to get surgery uh, at the end of December. So he stayed home from the bowl trip to have the surgery. But, you know, you got to wonder, I think especially now in hindsight, if he gets this surgery in November and says, you know what, the heck with it, I'm playing sparingly, whatever, um, I'm going to get the surgery now, you know, is he then available and healthy for spring ball and a full go? I mean, potentially. I mean, it seems like he was that close to being healthy that the timing really was curious. But now from Tommy's perspective, he wanted to play. Trace McSorley then got banged up last year, so he thought he was going to have a chance to be the quarterback. Um, and that just never transpired. So the timing is really interesting. Uh, James Franklin then said, uh, I believe it was around January at the end of the season news conference, that they would go into spring ball with Tommy Stevens atop the depth chart. Well, then, you know, you get the spring ball and Tommy's still not healthy, so that left the door open for Sean Clifford, um, who ultimately now will become Penn State's starting quarterback. So really strange series of events. Um, Penn State was always noncommittal when it came to naming a starter, and I think, you know, Tommy Stevens certainly wanted more of a guarantee. I mean, this is a guy who toyed with the idea of a transfer last winter as well and was looking around, and Penn State was elated when he decided to stay and back up Trace McSorley for another year. So, you know, reading between the lines, you can really see this one both ways. I mean, Penn State isn't going to guarantee a quarterback job to a kid who's been hurt, but I'm sure in Tommy's mind he's thinking, hey, I waited around, did everything you asked me to do, went and played this versatile lion role, 
backed up trace for another year when I was fielding other options. Um, so certainly you can see how and why the quarterback would want that guarantee as well. Saw an interview with his dad recently where he said that Tommy's focused on the NFL and thinks that he can play in the NFL. Do you agree? Do you think that he has NFL upside and potential to play at the next level? Mississippi State has kind of struggled, with the exception of Dak Prescott in program history, with putting guys in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I think you look at it, and the question to me is just because the quarterback sample size was so limited that I don't know, I mean, if, he, if he'd be a quarterback at the next level. But what I do think makes him interesting is that X-factor role that we saw him in. I mean, you know, is there a spot for a guy like that in a gadget-type role in the NFL? I mean, Tommy, first and foremost, sees himself as a quarterback and was, you know, adamant about that. And I think that was definitely one of the challenges that he dealt with while he was at Penn State. It was, okay, you know, he was going to be that good teammate, going to play anywhere else. But when it comes down to it, he sees himself as a quarterback, um, and that's where I think the small sample size makes you wonder. But you look at the size, you look at the skill set, um, and you look what Joe Moorhead was able to do with Trace McSorley in their time together, and you certainly, I think, have to expect that this is a guy who, if he comes in, if he wins that job, which seems like he certainly put himself in a really good spot to do so, um, that he would certainly garner some NFL interest if he can put together one strong and healthy season. I mean, I think that the health at this point, uh, this is a guy who, you know, we were talking with him this spring and he said, listen, you know, I didn't miss any games any time all throughout high school, but just kind of was bitten by the injury bug last year. So now I think you have to kind of maybe factor that in as well. Audrey Snyder on your radio. She covers Penn State for The Athletic. Um, a lot of questions from our listeners and people around the state have have been integrating a new quarterback onto this team. It seems like players like Keaton Thompson, uh, they, they've mm-hmm. gravitated towards him. So bringing in a new guy, what kind of a locker room guy is he? Do you have any idea? Do you think that the Mississippi State players will welcome him and his personality with open arms? Yeah, I mean, that is the one thing that I feel like for as much as Tommy as solely as the quarterback that we didn't get to see, we did get to see that personality. I mean, this is a guy who teammates love, teammates raved about him. I mean, I thought it was really telling um, when he announced last week where he was headed. I mean, right away, all of his teammates on social media, hey, good luck, this and that. You know, they wish him the best. I mean, they're... It didn't really seem like, from the players from the locker room perspective, that there was any ill will here. I mean, I think the players understand this is a business. Uh, it's a business decision. But he was a guy who teammates really liked because of that loyalty. I mean, this is somebody when they said, hey, we're going to create a position for you, um, to the point where, you know, you started to wonder, did Tommy even know what all this lion position entailed? Because it just seemed like, you know, in some regards, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants with it. But he rolled with it. I mean, he didn't pout, he didn't mope. There was a really weird series last year at Michigan uh, where Trace McSorley gets injured. Tommy comes in, throws an interception. The game's already well out of hand. It's late in the game. Penn State then pulls him because he throws the pick and goes back to Trace McSorley. And so I think you kind of see images like that where he thinks it's his turn, he's going to get his shot, and then it just doesn't happen. Uh, But despite all of that, I mean, this isn't a guy who he's publicly never moped about anything, um, really seemed like from a leadership perspective, I think that's where this transfer certainly could have an impact on a Penn State team that's going to be younger 
um, because he really was a, a good personality, a strong personality, um, and obviously him and Joe Moorhead get along really well. Audrey, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Really good stuff, uh, and we, we very much appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Just after 4 o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online, supertalk.fm. One hour in the books, two to go with you on this Tuesday afternoon and a little more baseball to be played. Ole Miss and Missouri headed to the bottom of the eighth inning. Rebels with a 2-1 lead. Tyler Myers really, really good out of the bullpen. Struck out the side, and that was 9-1-2 in the Missouri batting order in the top of the eighth inning. It's pretty top shelf from Tyler Myers. Hasn't allowed a run since May 3rd. Like, the bullpen as a whole has been very bad, but he and Houston Roth have been good the last three weeks. Yeah. It's just kind of been everything else. But if you get Miller right, Miller just had two blow-ups. He's been good for the most part. If you can get Caracy right, they'll actually might be okay in, with that regard. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether that's a farmer and you're buying a new piece of property, uh, you need to buy a tractor or some other piece of equipment, you need to refinance an existing loan, maybe it's a crop loan. Not a farmer, not a problem. Going to build a house in the country, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We are glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Do you want to make fun of me now, or do you want to hold that for later? Oh, the dad light. I I just, I, I mean, nothing like me leading you into that, in that way, huh? So, Rich, hold on a second. Before we do this, I wandered around in the RV parking lot last night like a bit of a bumbling idiot because I completely got turned around and I couldn't figure out where I was supposed to park. So I was supposed to park in a certain assigned spot. By the way, not my RV. My father-in-law kind enough to say, hey, take it, go for it. So pulling the RV and or driving the RV and we get here and I just kind of park on the side and I just like walked around for like 15 minutes just trying to find the spot. Finally found it, nearly drove past it a second time trying to figure out how to get in. And that's the point at which Rippy's like, I can't find you. Where are you? It was like blind leading the blind. And then he just happens to look. Was he that whiny? There you are. Uh, Richard couldn't tell me where he was in relation to the stadium. I like, kind of had an idea of where it was, and I was like, this is the only building within a couple miles. Like, but where I was standing, you couldn't even see the Finley Center as like the landmark because of all the motorhomes that were around me. So there's your backdrop. So then Richard starts setting this RV up, and he clicks on his handy-dandy dad light strapped to his forehead. And, man, when he put that thing on, he had a grin on like, this is the greatest gadget ever. So, Well, hold on, hold on. True story right up until the grin part. Was I grinning? Yeah, because you were like, you're about to crush me for this, aren't you? Oh, yeah, that, then, that, that was, yes. And then I watched Richard go full All-American man setting up camp for the week. We had a great time. It was awesome. It's a cool RV. I felt like I wanted to go, like, hunting in the woods, bring some breakfast this morning. It was like a camping trip. It was great. They, they, there's a splash pad out there now, too. I, I don't know that we're going to – I think it would probably be creepy if we went to the splash pad. Uh, but if you bring your kids and you're staying for a couple of days and you're trying to figure out what to do, I mean, like, world-class Don't we have a pool at the, ho- the hotel? If Mississippi State makes it to Saturday, Hey Dad said he would belly flop in the splash pad. 
Sure. Good. I'll, I'll get out there. Belly flop style? Yeah. On the concrete? That might hurt. That might hurt. Uh, you got less cushion than you used to have, too. That's true. I don't have, I don't have the same amount of, of give. Um, so, yeah, no, it was fun. And uh, it'll be fun for the, uh, for the week uh, as well. Do a little cooking and a little uh, baseball watching on television. and It's all good. And it'll be well lit. What will? Just our whole adventure. Oh, it's going to be lit? Yep. Not lit in that not, sense. Not lit Just like you're that. going to provide us light with that thing on your forehead. Oh. oh. <laughs> like it's a miner's hat. It's got, more, it's got different settings, too. And the crazy thing is my father-in-law, he was like, hey, I know that's the one you were probably using, but uh, he's like, there's another one in there that's better. It's still in the pack. I was like, you know what? This one is just, all I need is a little bit of light. We, so got, two, we see. got two lamps to work with now, two and, headlamps. And, and use both hands. Yeah, but you can't use one. You might stretch it. Oh, Johnny Big Head. <laughs> I do have a large head. Right, I'm just For stating me, the obvious. It's a small head. Thing. Uh, this ball that's, pretty well hit by Anthony Servideo off the, off the base of the wall into right center field. A guy that has one home run on the season just came really close to giving Ole Miss a two-run lead. Just happens to be the biggest ballpark the Rebels have played in the entire year. That's out of here in Oxford. And Starkville and Baton Rouge and Auburn and Tuscaloosa and continue to yeah, get on the he list. He plays most of his games in Oxford. You buried the lead. They threw up the stop sign. <laughs> Did not try and turn a routine double into a triple on uh, on that play. Uh, D1 Baseball's newest, latest, most up-to-date regional projections. And haven't we gotten to the point where we get them daily now? Pretty much, yeah. At least multiple times through the uh, through the week. Uh, number one overall national seed, as has been the case for a while now, UCLA. Paired up with the number 16 national seed, UC Santa Barbara Gauchos. Listen to this regional to be played in Las Vegas. That is officially where UC Santa Barbara has submitted their bid. New AAA ballpark in Vegas. Santa Barbara is the one. LSU is the two. Virginia as the three, and Army as the four. There's a lot of LSU fans in this state, and if we're going to serve them, I think I should go and cover that regional. They'll be okay in Starville without me. I was just thinking that that's one that I wouldn't mind on the old, hey, Richard, here's where you're going to cover a regional assignment. I don't really care anything about Vegas, but that sounds kind of fun with those four teams. It's it's a good regional, but I I would care about Vegas. Yes, I I know you would. Yes. I I know you would. Uh, Nashville is the – excuse me, Vanderbilt is the number two national seed in Nashville. Uh, No SEC teams beyond Vandy, of course, because they're hosting – Coral Gables, Miami is the one and the 15th overall seed. Uh, Florida Atlantic as the two. They've got them as the expected winner out of Conference USA. Florida in as the three seed, followed by Florida Gulf Coast. Mississippi State, the number three national seed, hosting in Starkville with Dallas Baptist, Clemson, and Southern University paired up with the College Station Regional. Texas A&M. At the number 14 seed, uh, Baylor out of the Big 12 there as well. Southern's an interesting four seed. They beat LSU in the midweek earlier this year. They did. So you got to figure they got a guy who can go toe-to-toe with an SEC team. We'll see. How about that? Um, of course, it was a midweek game. It was. and I mean, that, But facing that lineup, I, I don't think you pick Southern to win the regional or anything, but for one game, they seem like a team that can obviously beat a, a good SEC team. Throw an Ethan Small? I wouldn't, but... You keep saying you wouldn't. I wouldn't. 
Throw him tomorrow? No, no, no. I'm talking about in the regional. I would not throw him game one. Ooh. Is he going to throw tomorrow here? I haven't heard that yet, but I'm, I'm starting to think that. No, 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 no. Not tomorrow. I don't think he'll throw tomorrow. I think he'll throw Thursday. Yeah. Which would be on a full week's rest. Yeah. Um, paired up with uh, College Station, Georgia as the number four national seed. Ole Miss flies out to end the inning and strands another runner. And so it's going to be two to one. Headed to the top of the ninth inning with a new pitcher coming into the game. Tyler Myers will not try to finish it off. Is Ryan Olenek the new closer for the Ole Miss Rebels? Apparently so. Rippy? Um, yeah, Mike mentioned this as a possibility yesterday, but you're pulling a guy that's been your best bullpen arm the last three weeks, and Missouri did not put a ball in play against him. Well, maybe you expect to uh, win this game, and you need him again tomorrow. That's fair. It's also fair to say that there is no tomorrow if you don't win this game. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Borky, are you on board with this move? Ryan Olenek in to try and close it out? Not at all. You need to win this game. I mean, if nothing else, just for some kind of positive momentum moving forward. And the kid's dealing. Leave him in. I don't understand this at all, but, you know, maybe here in 10 minutes I'll look like an idiot for questioning it. But, man, I just don't like the move in principle at all. I don't know about the stuff. We'll see. Here's what I do know. There is no person within this ballpark or within about a five-mile radius who has more confidence in the the fact that they're getting the next three outs than the guy that's standing on the mound right now. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. Ryan Olenek is not short on confidence. (laughs) Um, So, we'll see. Uh, we'll continue to walk through the uh, the regional projections from D1 Baseball. Georgia as the number four national seed. Uh, got Florida State there as a three. UConn there as a two. That's a sneaky good uh, number two seed out of the American Conference. NC State paired up with the Athens Regional, where they've got West Virginia as the two, UCF as the three, and Elon as the four. We'll look at the other half of the bracket when we come back. Top of the ninth inning, 2-1. to one, Ole Miss leading it over Missouri. Ryan Olenek into the game and facing 3-4-5 and five in the Missouri lineup to try and close it out and help Ole Miss advance into the double elimination point of the tournament. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you from the SEC Baseball Tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Top of the ninth inning, one out. Ole Miss leading 2-1 to one over Missouri. Tigers have got a runner at first. Leadoff man in the inning. The DH um, for Missouri, uh, 2-2 count, was hit by a pitch. Uh, actually, it was on a, yeah, it was a 1-2 pitch. Zimmerman hit by a pitch in the back. One just got away from Ryan Olenek. Uh, then he got a pop-up on the infield from the catcher, McDaniel. So one out and a runner on first, pinch runner in the game for Missouri Sports Talk with you coming to you live from the SEC Tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Tomorrow, the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be covering Southern Miss, the Conference USA Tournament in Biloxi. Tomorrow and Thursday, ball lifted to left, and Dillard hauls it in for the second out of the inning. Tune in starting at 1 o'clock on Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, and Super Talk Pike County. It's the Conference USA Baseball Tournament. Eagle Hour covering Southern Miss, and you can listen on demand at supertalk.fm. Then on Thursday, join the JT Show 
in Clinton, Traceway Park, for the kickoff of the NJCAA Junior College Softball National Championship Tournament. Best teams from across the nation converge on Central Mississippi. Hear about all that's happening in Clinton as well this Thursday at Traceway Park in Clinton with the JT Show for the NJCAA Softball National Championship Tourney that is happening right now. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. You can uh, text the show, 601-879-4395. So Missouri has a runner on first with two out in the top of the ninth inning, and there is a pitch off the mitt of Cooper Johnson that rolls to the backstop, and now the tying run is in scoring position. Cooper Johnson's going to jog out to Ryan Olenek. Don't know if maybe they were mixed up on signs or what, but not ideal when the ball hits your glove and just uh, rolls to the uh, backstop. Two balls, no strikes to Paul Gomez, the second baseman hitting in the six-hole for Missouri. And Mike Bianco is going to come out and talk with Ryan Olenek as well. We were looking at the um, at the regional projections. We got through the number four national seed. So number one overall seed, UCLA. Vanderbilt, the number two. Mississippi State, the three. And Georgia, the four. And the five is Arkansas. How about that? Two, three, four, five national seeds, all SEC teams. Arkansas and Fayetteville hosting Creighton is the two. Illinois State is the three in Omaha. Uh, University of Nebraska at Omaha as the four seed. Paired up with Stanford. No SEC teams in the Stanford Regional. They've got North Carolina going on the road as a two seed. Carolina had been in the mix to uh, be a potential host, uh, but instead headed on the road. Louisville is the number six national seed. They've got Auburn in that regional as the number three. Paired up with the Corvallis-Oregon Regional. Oregon State is the one. Ole Miss as the two. BYU as the three. And Stony Brook as the four. Borky, what does that one do for you? Long trip to the Pacific Northwest if Ole Miss were to get sent to Corvallis. I mean, at least you have the the brand recognition there, if nothing else. But, I mean, and that is one of the rare places on the West Coast where you'll have a bit of an atmosphere. Oregon State, it's not... You know, it's not like what you see in the SEC with 12,000 people, but they have a nice little facility, and they fill it up pretty well. So that's one of the rare places out there where you'll go on the road and have an actual road environment in a West Coast regional. Three, four, five thousand. They've done a bunch of uh, stadium upgrades to uh, Gossman Stadium, uh, I think is the uh, name of the ballpark there in Corvallis. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, there is a four-pitch walk to the six-hole hitter, so Missouri has the tying run at second, the go-ahead run at first, and the seven-hole hitter, the left fielder, Thomas Broyles, coming to the plate. He's two for three in the ball game. He's a left-handed hitter, and he takes a first-pitch strike. Texas Tech is the number seven national seed. The Red Raiders won the regular season of the Big 12. They've got Arizona State, Texas State, and New Mexico State in that region. That's very on-brand for um uh, for Lubbock to have Texas State and New Mexico State uh, both in that regional. Paired up with Oklahoma State. So two Big 12 teams potentially meeting in a uh, super regional. Missouri currently projected as the number three seed in that uh, regional. And in Atlanta, Georgia Tech is the number eight national seed. No SEC teams there. Paired up with Greenville, North Carolina, where East Carolina is... Uh, the host and Tennessee is the two seed. Obviously, at Borky, at this point, these are, are just projections, and you know they, there's a lot of um, some institutional knowledge that goes into putting these together. But is there anything out of those 
eight national seeds that jumps out at you? Well, your your softies in Atlanta, Georgia Tech getting a national seed just continues to crack me up every time you see it there. Um, the yeah, dominant. I was talking with the Auburn radio guys earlier today, and uh, they said. Uh, yeah, they're not soft this year. We played them a couple of times in the midweek. That's an impressive baseball team. <laughs> what do they draw at Georgia Tech there in Atlanta? Not very many. I don't even know what the baseball stadium capacity is there. I, that that surprises Tech, me. I know it's a, a baseball kind of a nerd school and stuff. I mean, I get that, but you think. In the middle of downtown Atlanta, you could get people to show up to watch some college baseball, especially if they're pretty good. Strike three called. Thomas Broyles goes away looking, and Ole Miss will advance in the SEC tournament. Did Missouri's season just come to an end, or will they wait 10 days and then jump into a regional? Mike Bianco calls Ryan O'Linick's name to come in. He gets the save. He closes out the game for the second consecutive game against uh, an SEC team. Got the uh, save in the season finale, the regular season finale, against Tennessee on Saturday. And he comes in and gets the save against Missouri in a, uh, a win that propels Ole Miss into the double elimination part of the tournament. Ole Miss will play at the same time tomorrow. They will have a scheduled 1 o'clock first pitch against the number two seed in the tournament, the Arkansas Razorbacks, a team that uh, Ole Miss took two of three from in Fayetteville earlier this year. Hey, Dad, we were talking about the decision to bring Ryan Olenek in as opposed to leaving Tyler Myers. A couple base runners, um, but no hits off of him. He hit a batter, and uh, he, he delivers a four-pitch walk, which is probably, for all practical purposes, an intentional walk. And uh, Ole Miss advances and gets to hang around. That makes it more fun for all of us also. you got two teams in this thing for at least two more days. All's well that ends well over on that end, I guess. You know, when you make a decision, if it works out, it's just it's the beauty of coaching, right? If it works out, you're a genius. If it doesn't, you get all the blame. So worked out for Mike Bianco today. Like you said, the Rebels uh, live to fight another day. By the I'll have way, to cancel that party I was going to have. I figured Rippy would be out of here by now. I'll have to cancel that. But that's okay. I'll, I'll reschedule. Why would he have been out of here? Oh, I figured, you know, they were going to get eliminated and he'd head on home well we're doing a radio show through friday we were we were given the option to go home if are the team we are covering uh by whom by not you somebody else i probably you know, I would have protested that option if just to, <laughs> just you know <laughs> so you got me till at least you know thursday um Borky, you you would have had somebody come home tonight and do a given them a crash course on how to run the board yeah, basically, and then they can do everything else that comes with my job for once. There you go. Uh, Russ Chandler Stadium at Rose Bowl Field is Georgia Tech's home ballpark. Total capacity of 4,157, and the nickname of the ballpark is the Rusty Sea. It should be the toilet paper holder because they're, they're soft. Charm and soft. We'll, uh, we'll see. So... How about the SEC having two, three, four, and five as national seeds? Yeah. After UCLA is number one, um, not new news. Then you talk about a conference that's uh, dominant. Yeah. But um, two things I find pretty impressive. Two things looking going back to these regionals that I find that I want to ask about is one: Can State get to the two? Could if they win this tournament and beat Vanderbilt in doing so, could they get to the number two seed overall? That would be something. That would I, it matter? 
I don't think. I mean, it's just mat. It does, does it matter? I don't know. It doesn't really matter because if you're the two or the three, when you get to Omaha, you're not playing Vanderbilt until the uh, the last series. I'm not playing UCLA. I'm sorry until the last series. Right. The other thing I, I find interesting is the two seed in the National Regional is Indiana, which is you know could he very easily drop down and be the two seed in Starkville, and that would rematch Chris Lamonis with his former team. Good storyline. You like that idea? I like a storyline, man. I like a little drama. You certainly would. Big have Ten a, champion uh, Indiana Hoosiers certainly would have a uh, a storyline there. So Ole Miss wins against Missouri two to one. They lost the series in Columbia earlier this year, and now split it two and two. And if there was any lingering question, which I really don't think there was, if there was any lingering question as to whether or not Ole Miss was in the NCAA tournament, obviously with Kendall Rogers at D one uh, in that projection today, having them as a two seed, there really wasn't any question. I th- I think the question was answered when they got the win against Tennessee on uh, on Saturday to close out the regular season. Um, exclamation point on it now. And now the only thing, uh, the only question mark is if Ole Miss made a really deep run in this tournament, could they potentially get back into the hosting conversation? That feels like a long shot at, uh, at this point. We'll kind of wait and see. Will Etheridge gets the win to improve to 6-6. Six and six. Ryan Olenek picks up his second save of the year. Jacob Cantleberry takes the loss for Missouri and finishes 4-5. and five. we got more coming up with you. Brian Scott Rippey has gone down below for the postgame press conference. We'll hear back from him in just a little while. Auburn and Tennessee, the next game that is happening here at the SEC Tournament. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. Beautiful Tuesday in Hoover, Alabama. A little windy. The only clouds you've got in the sky are like the puffy variety, not the kind that uh, they drop a whole bunch of rain on you. And gorgeous sunshine and temperatures in the low 90s. A year ago we sat here, it was a little chilly, and uh, it was rainy. And we had a big fog delay in one of the late games uh, a season ago. So, uh, thankfully, that's not going to uh, to be the case, or at least it doesn't look like uh, it's going to be the case as we roll through the week here in Hoover for the SEC Baseball Tournament. C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. How about this story out of the NFL? And this is one that feels like it's probably got some layers and we're just starting to get the information. Borky, I don't know if you've seen this or not, um, it was originally tweeted by Travers Mackle. Uh, he is at Travers WDSU on Twitter. He tweeted, breaking, NFL star Tyron Matthew is the target of an alleged extortion plot by a New Orleans man. That's according to an unsealed FBI New Orleans criminal complaint. More exclusive details coming up on their uh, news state, or I guess news channel tonight. The SEC um, Matt Fleener at KMBC, which I guess is in Kansas City, followed it up with an investigation involving Chief Star Tyron Matthew. New details coming up tonight. Tyron's agent confirms to KMBC that uh, Tyron is dealing with a, quote, private and personal family issue. And then an additional tweet from Denise White, his agent, this again from Matt Fleener, uh, confirms that Matthew is mentioned in the federal unsealed complaint in New Orleans. Here's the quote. He's dealing with a family member who is dealing with a mental health issue, close quote. I don't know what all that means, but that sounds odd. 
Yeah, that's Tyron Matthew is one of the last guys that I would I would extort. I wouldn't do it. He's called the Honey Badger. <laughs> Why are people going after him? That's a bad idea. But he got there, Borky. No, it just goes to show what these athletes deal with on a daily basis. My sister actually lived down the street from a Carolina Panthers player, and the stories that that he would tell them just about the people that he hasn't spoken to in years that once he made the NFL, how his phone would uh, ring off the hook and people would just show up at his door looking for handouts and stuff like that. This is obviously a little bit different, but just when these guys, and some of them come from uh, maybe some unfortunate backgrounds or backgrounds of lesser financial means, and these people just want to latch onto them and, and leech them for everything that they're worth, it's just a sad reality of these young athletes' situations is you have bad people try to try to take from them. And uh, it's just, at least they caught whoever this was, and maybe he'll get justice. But man, what a vague and odd story. Yeah, and then kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, you also have professional athletes who don't necessarily help themselves by continuously putting themselves in bad spots, bad situations. I don't know that there's a whole lot to this story, but Zeke Elliott is a guy, Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Dallas Cowboys, who seems to find himself or maybe put himself more appropriately in bad spots. He was intoxicated at a music festival, and according to the story from CBS Sports, Zeke Elliott was detained in handcuffs but not arrested after a parking lot argument at the Electric Daisy Carnival in Las Vegas. Elliott can be seen on video obtained by TMZ arguing with his girlfriend as they walk through the parking lot. He does not put his hands on her, but later in the video he appears to push an event staffer into a guardrail with his body. The man falls down, knocking the guardrail over. The video is not necessarily safe for children to hear, but can be seen at TMZ if you want to check it out. Ezekiel Elliott's attorney told TMZ that event security was overreacting, that was a quote, to an argument between Elliott and his girlfriend. He did nothing wrong. And the extended quote was this, security misconstrued and overreacted to the situation. He was cuffed as a precautionary measure. He was released with no charges. He left Vegas that night and went to his youth football camp in Dallas on Sunday. Just another situation of, you know, you got to be smarter. You got to be when when you are a, a a superstar, you have a target on you, and that's not fair. It's not fair at all, but it's the truth. And especially when you're Elliot, when you've had some off the field incidents, you've got to be doing everything you can. When, when when the big money contract is on the line and that's coming up, and we were just talking about Dak, you know, are they going to try to sign all three of them? This is going to be something where the Cowboys go, is it worth the risk? And, and and they would be they they would have reason to say no, it's not. Ezekiel Elliott does have a history of off the field incidents. After a year long investigation, he was suspended for six games in 2017 after being spotted at a rooftop bar in Dallas pulling down a woman's top, and then reportedly was involved in another altercation at another Dallas-area bar. So, Borky, what do you make of all this? Not a lot to see here, just bad, you know, wrong place, wrong time, or a guy who puts himself in situations where trouble seems to find him? Probably a combination of all three, because I, I watched the video, and if the video is, is the entire thing, uh, it was a really non-aggressive, it was an argument. Couples argue, it was an argument. He wasn't violent, he wasn't aggressive, they were arguing, but he was clearly, clearly 
having a really good time at this music festival and was having a hard time standing up. And yes, he did knock over a security guard, but it, the security guard looked like he was playing LeBron James defense, like barely got touched and fell backwards into this guardrail. Ezekiel Elliott didn't yeah. like physically just shove him down. The guard kind of fell on his own trying to make it look worse than it was, but still... Rick Flair would have been proud of that bump. I'll go ahead and tell you. Yeah, I mean, it was a flop is what it was. But at the same time, you've got this uber-talented kid that is always, I say always, but is frequently getting in these kind of situations. And at some point, you've got to find a way to get out of them. If you're if you're drunk at a music festival, you have to know that arguing with your girlfriend is going to bring the cameras up. That's just what's going to happen. You've got to find a way around that. It's not fair, but that's what it is. And with this track record, you can't do stuff like this. Given the litigious world in which we live, even if no charges are filed, are we going to see that the uh, security guard who was knocked down by Ezekiel Elliott will sue him? You can bet your bottom dollar on that, I would think. And then try to settle out of court and absolutely get some cash. Absolutely. Yep, that kind of feels like what is uh, what is on the horizon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, live from the SEC Baseball Tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Two games in the books. Game one of the day took a little longer than expected. Extra innings, a 10-win, excuse me, a 10-inning win for Texas A&M. So the Aggies have now won three in a row after losing game one to Arkansas in the the, uh, regular season finale. They won the backside of that series with uh, victories on Friday. And Saturday and today they get a win, eight to seven, over Florida. Casey Kalick was the winning pitcher for AM. Nolan Crisp took the loss in the uh, in the ball game. At the plate, Braden Shoemake was two for three. Uh, Mickey Honer was two for five in the ball game. Jonathan Dukoff was two for five with a three-run home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. So Florida had actually taken a lead in the top of the eighth. And then Texas A&M came back and tied it at seven. So Florida was up seven to three going into the bottom. Is that right? No, that's not right. Florida was up. It would be the bottom. Three, A&M was the four, five. They were up five to three going into the bottom of the eighth inning. Texas A&M scored four runs in the bottom of the eighth to make it seven to five. Florida got two runs in the top of the ninth to tie it at seven. And then in the bottom of the tenth inning, the Aggies scored a single run and got an 8-7 to seven win. So Texas A&M and, uh, uh, will advance. They will play the early game tomorrow. And then um, who is that against? The number three seed, Georgia. Georgia, yeah. Texas A&M and Georgia will play at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, Ole Miss and Missouri just finished up. Ole Miss getting a 2-1 to one win over Missouri. And Ole Miss will meet the two seed, Arkansas, uh, tomorrow in game two. Game three coming up here today on day one, an elimination day. It is win or go home, Tennessee and Auburn. Auburn, the home team, Tennessee, in those uh, awful dark gray uniforms is the uh, visiting team. The winner of that game will meet the number one overall seed in the tournament, Vanderbilt, tomorrow in game three. So about a 5 o'clock start time tomorrow. And then the the nightcap uh, tonight, South Carolina and LSU. The winner will meet Mississippi State in the late game tomorrow night. Shaping up to be a, a fun tournament and a fun second day. Yeah, the teams that the teams I think that the conference wanted to see. And I'm not I'm not making a conspiracy theory here, but 
you want Ole Miss here because they keep fans here. You know, a lot Rebel fans will come over here a lot more than Missouri fans will. A&M, you wanted another host team, you've got it now with A&M winning. So we'll see what happens the rest of the way, but it's so far so good for the SEC. Yeah, the attendance for the first session, 4,135. So not big crowds for the opening session, but imagine that they will uh, continue to grow this afternoon, evening, and then into the rest of the week. Sports Talk Mississippi will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 5 o'clock hour with you from the Hoover Met in Hoover, Alabama, SEC Baseball Tournament 2019. For those of you that were with David Kellum and Keith Kessinger on the Ole Miss Radio Network, we welcome you into Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. You can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years, and that's why we say they know the lay of the land. Tennessee off to a uh, to a quick start. A couple of hits with one out in the top of the first inning. Tennessee and Auburn playing in an elimination game here on the first day of the SEC tournament. Four single elimination games. Tomorrow you roll into double elimination play. It stays that way until Saturday when you get to the semifinals. And then the SEC tournament championship game comes your way on Sunday. C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire reminds you not to text and drive C Spire. Customer inspired. Brian Scott Rippey will join us in uh, just a little while. Right now you've got Brian Haydad and me, Richard Cross, from the uh, booth above the right field line. Pretty good spot to watch some baseball and hang out doing a, uh, a radio show for the week. We'll be with you here in Hoover until Friday. And uh, right now, we'll step aside from baseball just for a moment to take a look at the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. 42 consecutive years that the F-150 is the best-selling truck in America. And don't forget, through the 4th of July, special savings for veterans, and also for first responders, in addition to the great incentives that are already going, an extra special saving for you as Ford's way of saying thank you to our local heroes. A couple of things to get to. Um, let's start, hey, Dad, with uh, new news out of Starkville regarding Joe Moorhead, the head football coach of Mississippi State, rolling into his second year. He gets a contract extension and gets a raise. Yeah. Uh, as you know, here in the state of Mississippi, only four-year contracts allowed. So the, the extension is basically just a one-year extension. And then, But they did redo his deal in terms of what he was going to be making. I think this year he was originally scheduled to be around $2.6 million, uh, and the contract was going to compensate him at a rate of about 2.75. This new deal will compensate him at a rate of about $3.2 million per year. This year at $3.05, then $100,000 more each year through 2022, the length of the contract. So the average of the four years is about $3.2 million, and the average of the old contract was about two point eight when you, yeah. you schedule yeah. it out over the four years. Um, that's not bad, a $400,000 a year raise. It's good work if you can get it. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, it feels like the right thing to do. Your, your one was, uh, okay, maybe for some it fell a little bit below expectations. 
But at the same time, it was a bowl season, and it was the first year. And Mississippi State, John Cohen, obviously confident in Joe Moorhead going forward. Well, I, I would have come out on the, in favor of an extension because I think with the way the state law works, you, you need to keep those guys at four years just to, if nothing else, to give the illusion of continuity, whether there is continuity or not. You want to give that idea to recruits and to your fan base. The raise is a little bit surprising to me because – you know, who's MSU bidding against it for Joe Moorhead? I don't think there was a school coming in and saying we're going to up his salary and pay his buyout if uh, we can get him off the books there. So a little surprising, but you mentioned John Cohen, and, and I heard John Cohen speak uh, last week at a, uh, at a Road Dogs event in Starkville. They had us come, the media come in, and then we got to speak to Coach Moorhead after. And the amount of confidence John Cohen has in Joe Moorhead is, is very, very high. He believes in Joe Moorhead. So if that's the case and you truly believe that you've got your guy, then, yeah, I guess this kind of contract it makes sense to keep him around and keep him keep him happy and, and keep the uh, the continuity going. Well, and John Cohen better have all the confidence in the world in him. That was his hire. Yeah, yeah. That's, they, they, they went out and found him, him and got him. And uh, it's the, the first really major hire for John Cohen. Uh, and then followed it up with having to uh, hire a baseball coach as well. Did I get the order right, or was it baseball and then football? He hot, well, you got to remember he you know he's hired two baseball coaches. Uh, that's right. First one didn't work out so well. Uh, I mean, well, he, he worked out all the time, but it didn't work out on the field. <laughs> no, I guess it didn't, I guess it worked out on the field. It didn't work out off the field. Yeah, uh, that's a uh, that's a good point uh, as well. So uh, congratulations to Joe Moorhead, who has uh, has slimmed down. Yeah, he's, he's he's beating me right now. He's got he's lost more pounds than I have. Has he? Yeah. Are you guys have a competition? going? We don't have a competition going, but you know maybe we should. He's also he's got money to bet with now. Yeah, he's like six foot five or six foot six. Yeah. I like I like seeing pictures of Moorhead with offensive line recruits where he's taller. It makes me laugh every time. Hmm. Um, this is another interesting nugget, and Borky, you uh, you kind of brought this to the table. We, we talk sometimes about history of college football programs and. You would submit that it's just not a big deal? Yeah, history doesn't matter anymore, in my opinion, in recruiting. People, especially people that cover the teams that that probably have biases involved, specifically, I'll just point to Tennessee. People will talk about, well, Tennessee has won national championships. Yes, when the kids weren't alive anymore, history of winning doesn't matter. What matters in recruiting is relationships, get me to the NFL, and are you winning right this second? Current program trend is what's important. History doesn't matter at all unless you just want to confirm uh, some kind of bias because kids, especially now, don't look at 1998 very fondly because that's when their mom and dad were their age. So when you do that, it's disingenuous. And now... Our stat of the day, if you want to call it that, I think sheds a a huge light on exactly why I think I'm right on this, because in recruits' lifetimes, very few teams have actually won titles that they will even remember. All right, before we look at the the numbers on these, when do you think that changed? When when do you think historical relevance became less important than relationships and current results? Didn't the landscape become more fluid I think that's more so than anything else in college football there used to be just the powers and nothing more but look at Oregon for example Oregon can recruit nationally Oregon's got a brand part of that is because Nike but there are teams that are able to to move up and down on the spectrum for the most part Alabama will always be a a higher status program than Ole Miss and Mississippi State but Ole Miss and Mississippi State are able to recruit 
players now because I think the landscape was a little bit more fluid thanks to a massive increase in revenue because of television, really. But I think it's a more fluid landscape than it used to be. You, you hit on something with television. you got to remember back when, when history was big, which maybe when I was a kid and maybe when Richard was a kid, not everybody was on television every week. But Notre Dame was. Notre Dame was. Alabama was on TV. Uh, USC was on TV. Texas and Oklahoma. Now, Mississippi State. Nebraska. And, uh, Nebraska, yeah. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, South Carolina. All of these programs will be on television just as many times as the power programs. And so those days of, you know, if I want to play on TV, if I want to play for a powerful program, you know, that the, the NFL scouts are going to see me, those days are over. So, yeah, it, recruits don't the recruits don't care about the old the old guard anymore. Tennessee loads the bases with one out. They get a sacrifice fly to uh, take a one nothing lead, then another fly ball to end the inning. So it's one to nothing Tennessee as we go to the bottom of the first in game three of the day here in Hoover, Alabama. So here are the the ages currently of of recruits. So current recruits and their age when a team last won a national championship. With Clemson, last time they won a national championship, well, recruits are 17 years old. Alabama, very relevant, 16 years old. What about Ohio State? Well, you're getting a little bit younger. You're going back to 13 years old when Ohio State won a national championship most recently. Florida State, you had to be 12. Were you paying attention when you were 12? Yeah, it's debatable. What about Auburn? Nine years old. Nine years old, current recruits when Auburn last won a national championship. We feel like Florida is a traditional power. Last time the Gators won a national title, current recruits were seven years old. LSU, six years old. Texas, four. Here's the one that blows my mind. Last time Southern Cal won a national championship, Current recruits were three years old. Yeah. And for Miami, about six weeks old. Yeah. And then nobody else was alive the last time a school outside of that list makes the, the national wins yeah. the national title. Yeah, nobody that's not on that list. So who's the last one that, that they that, what's the cutoff? Who's the last school that won a national title that wouldn't you got me wondering now? Uh, uh, two thousand It's Oklahoma, right? Who won the national title is Oklahoma. So yeah, that yeah. So yeah, Oklahoma is not on this list. They would the kids would have been not born yet. Now this list is not. It's not like exclusive company. If you're not on this list, doesn't mean you're not recruiting well because there are programs that have continued to win. And I think that's Borky's overall point is just relying on your history. Notre Dame's the great example. Nebraska is an example. There are others that are examples. Oh well, they won the national title. Well, we weren't even alive. But have you continued to win in a really big way? I mean, Auburn, we talked about a second ago, nine years old. They've continued to be relevant. Oklahoma, incredibly relevant, even though it's been 19 years since they last won a national championship. They play for national championships. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi rolls on on this Tuesday afternoon. Shadows starting to creep their way across the infield at the Hoover Met as Auburn and Tennessee are playing in the bottom of the first inning. Tennessee got a run in the top of the first on a sacrifice fly. This is game three of the day. 
Got started earlier with Texas A&M winning one, uh, excuse me, getting a run in the bottom of the 10th inning to win by one, 8-7 over Florida. 33-24 and 24 now the record for Florida. Aggies are now 37-19-1 and, and are almost assuredly going to be a regional host. Florida has to kind of sit and wait now. They've got an RPI of 25 right now, so the RPI is plenty good. The question is, does the win-loss record in league play matter? A year ago, according to Ray Tanner, who is the chair of the selection committee, it mattered a lot. But are the available teams, based on records and RPI and all those things this year, um, do, do does the number of teams that's available uh, dictate that maybe you've got a few more spots that you've got to fill in the tournament? If that turns out to be the case, then Florida could be in good shape. Missouri could potentially be in good shape as well. Missouri lost 2-1 uh, to one to Ole Miss. Rebels got two runs in the bottom of the fifth inning. Ole Miss two runs, ten hits, and an error. Missouri one run on seven hits and no errors. Will Etheridge seven innings, seven hits, an earned run, six strikeouts, and no walks. Through 101 pitches, Tyler Myers worked an inning of scoreless relief with three strikeouts. Ryan Olenek came in and picked up his second save, second consecutive save, actually. Closed out the regular season finale against Tennessee on Saturday and does so today against Missouri. He walked a batter, hit a batter, struck out a batter, but did not give up a hit or a run. And with that, we uh, welcome back in Brian Scott Rippey, who raced down for the post-game press conference and is now feverishly writing a story that you'll be able to read on Supertalk uh, Mississippi website, supertalk.fm, in uh, in just a little while. Um, what they have to say in the uh, post-game press conference? Um, a lot of different stuff. It was an interesting game. It was kind of it was a pretty well played game on both sides. I think Ole Miss had an error. Missouri should have been charged in the error. It was an infield hit, allegedly. Um, but tight game that, that Ole Miss pulled down the stretch. But, I mean, that's really – I mean, the story of this game, like Olenek probably is, is the headline because of the, the unconventional way in which they're closing out games. But Will Etheridge was phenomenal when they really, really needed it. I mean, you've had a bullpen that's been unstable, to say the least, over the last stretch, and he gives you seven innings, 100 pitches, you know, one run, scatter seven hits, doesn't walk anybody and strikes out six. It's about as good as they could have asked him to pitch. It's as good as he's been all year. And, you know, a guy who's – Mike mentioned it after the game, win-loss record, which is not reflective of how good or bad a pitcher is necessarily. Probably should be a little bit better, but he's been good for most of the year for Ole Miss and Friday night roll, replacing a first-round pick. So Ole Miss is now on to Wednesday. And Play a, um, the opponent tomorrow is Arkansas, and it's the uh, the second game of the day, so a 1, 1.30, 2 o'clock first pitch, depending on what happens in the, uh, the game before it. Who's going to go? Who's going to pitch? Zach Phillips is pitching for Ole Miss tomorrow. Um, I have not seen who Arkansas will pitch. I don't know if they'll go with Isaiah Campbell or not. Arkansas doesn't really have anything to gain by being here. They're a national seed. You know, they're a host. Like they don't, they don't have much to prove. So I'm not sure if they'll throw him. I, I wouldn't. But I, I don't know. I have not seen an announcement. So Phillips, a lefty, will go against him. Um, a guy who's been pretty good as a starter of lately, not as much out of the bullpen when he inherits runners in particular, but he's kind of turned it around, so it'll be interesting. And I think that's a move that's easier made when you're, you're not going home with a loss. 
Is Ryan Olenek now the closer? I don't know about the closer because it's such a you have to be careful when you use. Well, I guess this doesn't really matter is in the closer role, but you got to be careful when he warms up. As he's playing the field, his spot comes up in the order. You don't really know how like his arm will react to pitching multiple days and things like that. He said he felt fine after pitching Saturday. Obviously, only threw one inning, couple days rest. wasn't really a concern there, but I don't know. I, I don't think so because Mike. I mean, Mike said you're going to see Miller and Crazy tomorrow. They're going to need those guys that they're going to turn it around and and be better in the postseason. So I don't know about the closer, but he's an option, and he's one they need. Why the decision to throw Zach Phillips tomorrow? You, you went Will Etheridge on one week's rest as opposed to going Doug Nikhazy in game two. It gives Nikhazy, I guess, a day closer to, to normal rest, and you have Phillips, who's been pretty good as a starter. And like I said, it's a game where – you don't lose if you go home. Now, obviously, the loser's bracket is much more difficult to navigate through than the winner's bracket. Maybe not quite as hard with the semifinals not being double in the nation anymore, but it makes sense. I, I don't think if you don't have to do, to put Doug Nikhazy, you know, off normal rest, try to get him as close as possible, and Phillips is a viable option as a starter. Well, and I guess, you know, once you win the first game, all kinds of possibilities open up. So Ole Miss doesn't have to worry about getting bounced after one day now at this point. But then you start looking ahead and you go, well, if Ole Miss were able to somehow pull off a win against Arkansas with Zach Phillips as the starter, now you've got Nikhazy going on Friday, and you feel good about that against whoever the opponent is. Well, probably Thursday, and if you win that, it's an off day I, I'm sorry, I meant on Thursday. Yeah in so much if you win the first two. Now you've got an off day, and then it's single elimination the rest of the way. Yeah, no, I mean, you're set up well if you can get through it Get through it tomorrow with, with Phillips. Now, obviously, that's a very tall task with as good as Arkansas is, but, you know, if it were to happen, uh, you, you'd be set up well. And then if they lose, you got Nikhazy to get you conceivably through at least one game in, in, in the loser's bracket. So some options. I, I talked to somebody that was – tied to the program uh, a couple of weeks ago and we're just kind of talking in general about how a team feels about opponents and Ole Miss has had a lot of success against Arkansas in recent years they've had a lot of success against Texas A&M in recent years on the flip side of the coin they've had almost no success against Mississippi State really in four years is there something to the idea of you got confidence stepping on the field against a certain team going we're going to beat those guys we always beat those guys. We're going to do that again. I'm sure there's something subconsciously to it, but I don't know. There's so many other factors in a game and pitching matchups and other things that there's probably something to that, but I'm not sure it's necessarily something that's on the forefront of their minds when they take the field to, like tomorrow, for example. Ole Miss, for what it's worth, and Warren Nolan's real-time RPI jumps four spots to number 27 in the RPI. We, we, we've talked about this being a long shot at best. If Ole Miss wins tomorrow against Arkansas, that would be a win against a team that's number six currently in the RPI. You would expect a pretty decent jump. If you were able to continue to win, is there any belief that Ole Miss, if they got to Saturday, let's say they got to the semifinals and lost, could play themselves back into a regional host spot? I I guess it's conceivable, but I would, like, like not to like duck the question, but I would think with this team is really I would just I think they're just kind of focused on figuring things out in the bullpen, figuring things out at the plate. Because you know what you saw in this game is to Mike Bianco's credit, 
it's sometimes stubborn Mike Bianco. They lost 6-7, and he's trying different things. Thomas Dillard's hitting leadoff. You, their center fielder, who's a good like- pitcher in his own right, is closing games. He's trying to mix it up. So I, I think, yes, I think it's, I guess, certainly possible if – if, if they were to make it to Saturday and Sunday, you could get back into that conversation. But they played so poorly the last two weeks of the season. I, I think they're probably using this as a time to figure some things out, get some confidence, start playing better. And if that does turn out to be the case and you look up and they're still playing on Saturday, then, yeah, I guess it's a possibility. Fast-forwarding just for a second, thinking about the outing that Gunnar Hoagland had against Tennessee on, on Saturday in the regular season finale. How Doug Nikhazy has pitched for most of the year and what Will Etheridge gave you today. Is Ole Miss a scary team in a regional setting, even if they go somewhere as a number two seed? I would say because of the first two. Like, Hoagland's just been so inconsistent and so up and down all year. But, like, if you you look at them as a two seed and they win the the 2-3 game on a Friday night in a regional – or Thursday night, whatever it is, when you get to that winner's bracket game against presumably the one seed, this team's probably been the best best version of itself with Doug Nikhazy on the mound, so are you really going to bet against them then? So in that sense, I think yes. And, you know, if Hoagland's pitching better and more consistently by the end of the year, that certainly helps further that argument. But I think because of what they have in Etheridge and Nikhazy, that there'd certainly be a tough out as a two seed in a regional. And then... You know, the bullpen's kind of coming along. Myers hasn't allowed a earned run in three weeks. You know, Miller's been better. He had two blow-ups. You've got another option. Olenek, if you can get Caracy right, it's kind of more similar, I guess, to what they were in, in March and early April. Hey, Dad, you're a jerk. Okay. Would you like to uh, perhaps clear the record about something you said that is causing my phone and my Twitter feed to explode going, did Richard Cross really just kneel during the national anthem? A text that says, I hope he was kidding that you knelt during the national anthem. Ooh. Please tell me it's from your father. Is it, please? Uh, no. There's... I raised you better than that, son. John, John Clark Packer on Twitter asked me about it. My father-in-law just texted me about it. He said, I hope he was kidding that you uh, were kneeling during the national anthem with four question marks at the end of it. Richard Cross embracing his wokeness. Uh-huh. Richard Cross. Stop making there. jokes about it and tell them that you were kidding. I was kidding. I can't believe anybody thought you would do that. Lib Talk Mississippi. Back after this. <laughs> Jeez. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Am I the, I'm the most patriotic of our group here, right? I mean, maybe. I don't know. How do we measure that? I don't know, but I promise you when we get back to the uh, RV park, the American flag is going up immediately when we get back. <laughs> no, I didn't kneel for the national anthem. Jeez. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.